On this episode of Progressive Palaver, the group discusses Adam Hart Mother. Progressive Palaver, a group of lifelong friends and appreciators of music discussing the greatest progressive rock bands album by album. I'm Joe Beauclair, and on this episode of Progressive Palaver, I'm joined by my very good friends Paul Zotter and Ken Gregory as we continue in the Pink Floyd catalog covering Adam Hart Mother. Moo. (laughs) 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 Gentlemen, welcome welcome to Adam Hart Mother. Um, Yeah, it's so we start we we got to the cows right away. Didn't didn't even waste any time. (laughs) So (laughs) <laughs> yeah, why don't we get to the timeline of progressive rock right away? Because, you know, this is uh, the best year ever for 60s music. It's 1969, right before we were born. And things were just kind of cooking, as we detailed in the previous episode. Uh, you know, bands were, were, were just, 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 just happening or, you know, peaking. Um, you had... Uh, Jefferson Airplane, Vanilla Fudge, The Birds, Genesis, The Moody Blues, Chicago, George Harrison was solo, The Who had Tommy, uh, Traffic, and then, you know, Pink Floyd So uh, had two albums actually that year, if you consider more, and then uh, Umagoma. I so do consider more, a lot more than Umagoma. Yeah, I know you do. Yeah, 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 yeah. More, more, more. That's that's your motto. So um, then we go from all that. Um, uh, Umagum was actually late. It was October '69. So the question I always ask when looking at the timeline is, what was the band potentially listening to or going to see when they were composing what was coming next? Um, in this case, uh, I don't know, Moody Blues to Our Children's Children, uh, Fairport Convention, Renaissance, and then we have to jump and suddenly from one decade to the next. We have uh, <clears throat> Sid Barrett with the Madcap Lights. Interesting that Sid Barrett's solo career only lasted through 1970. In January 1970, the Madcap Lights, and then at the end of that year, uh, what's the second one called? I think it's just called Barrett, isn't it? He didn't have long, and we know that uh, Roger and David were were bailing him out whenever possible. Um, the Mother's Invention, Jethro Tull, King Crimson, Procol Harum, Soft Machine, The Nice. Yes, has time and a word in this period. Pretty brilliant. Uh, Super Tramp, self-titled. Mother's Invention. And then October 1970, Adam Hart Mother. My apologies to fans of Caravan and Van der Graaff Generator. We just haven't uh, taken that plunge yet. But they're happening too. That's fair. Yes, Paul? It, it just hit me when Ken was going through there in 1969. Tommy was in 1969. Yeah. That talk about something ahead of its time. Holy crap. Yep. I mean, that's crazy. That was 69. I had no idea. That's why we're so critical of Pink Floyd. It's like, hey, man, you know. Gosh. <laughs> I'm sorry. Are we critical of Pink Floyd? Uh, no, we're I mean, starting to love them. We're, yeah, we, I mean, this, like I said, this is this is the last of the hard albums for me. And this, this one isn't even nearly as hard as the previous, so. Yeah, I... I I missed Amagama with, uh, you know, that's too bad. I can't wait to hear what you guys talked about it. But I, I didn't find this one too difficult to um, to enjoy. Um, I'll just start. I'll just start by saying that this was a this was a to me a pleasant surprise overall. Okay, shall we talk about the particulars of this album then? Let's do it. 
Adam Hart Mother, as Ken mentioned, was released on 2nd of October 1970. Produced by Pink Floyd with Norman Smith, and released apparently on the label Harvest Capital. Band lineup includes Roger Waters, David Gilmour, Richard Wright, and Nick Mason, playing all the things that they normally play. The track listing includes the song, the title track, Adam Hart Mother, uh, including the, the sections Father's Shout, Breast Milky, Mother Four, Funky Dung, Mind Your Throats Please, and Reemergence, or I'm sorry, Remergence. Then If, Summer 68, Fat Old Son, and then Alan's Psychedelic Breakfast, comprising Rise and Shine, Sunny Side Up, and Morning Glory. Adam Hart Mother is the fifth studio album by the English progressive rock band Pink Floyd. It was released by Harvest on 2nd of October 1970 in the UK, and by Capitol on 10th October 1970 in the US. It was recorded at Abbey Road Studios in London, England, and was the band's first album to reach number one in the UK, while it reached number 55 in the US, eventually going gold there. A remastered CD was released in 1994 in the UK and the United States, and again in 2011. Ron Giesen, who had already influenced and collaborated with Roger Waters, contributed to the title track and received a then-rare outside songwriting credit. The cover was designed by Hypnosis and was the first one to not feature the band's name on the cover or contain any photographs of the band anywhere. This was a trend that would continue on subsequent covers throughout the 1970s and beyond. Although it was commercially successful on release, the band, particularly Waters and David Gilmour, have expressed several negative opinions of the album in more recent years. Nevertheless, it remained popular enough for Gilmour to perform the title track with Giesen in 2008. So we, we started by joking about the cows. Apparently the cows were Storm Thurgerson's idea. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know... It, it, Again, if, if you take the time to listen to um, the, the Lost Art of Conversation, which is the four-part podcast on the later years of Pink Floyd, there is... I did. You did? You guilted me into doing that. Yes. 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 So, Third time to charm. Yeah. So, um, so in, in one of those episodes, I believe it's probably the th third one. They talk about the images, and there are some really great stories of Thor of Storm in in that episode. Now, it doesn't obviously deal with the cows here, but but hearing those stories and the way that that's you know apparently the way everything worked is I, I guess Storm would come up with this concept, and then Poe would go out and photograph it, um, and that seemed to work out really well. So it, at some point, Storm became fixated on these cows. And I want to say it was in, in Mason's book where he talked about um, being on, on one of the tours and he was in one of the U.S. cities and he was just sort of tickled pink to see, uh, pun intended, um, to see a huge billboard with one of Storm's cows up there on it. So now the unfortunate aspect of that is, you know, some of these, and I believe it was Jay in the, in the, the group text today who was complaining about some of the the section titles in the title track, you know, Breast Milky and Funky Dung, you know, apparently those, those titles were inspired by the cow motif that had already been decided upon. So. Huh. I didn't even know that there were subtitled version parts to the song till tonight. That's I mean, I went through that with close to the edge. Yeah. Yep. Yep, that's that's valid. The other thing that, that comes out from all of this is after their experience apparently working on the movie more, and they thought, oh, this, this stuff is great. And somehow they got connected up with Michelangelo Antonioni, who, you know, is or was, you know, a famous uh, director. And so they were supposed to be working with him and providing some music for the the uh, the movie Zabriskie Point, and as it's relayed in Nick's book, that collaboration did not go nearly as well as the collaboration did on Moore. 
And Antonioni apparently was very, very particular about, you know, what he wanted. And the band would record something and then take it to him. And then he'd go, no, I don't really like this. And he'd send him back. And so they, they started sort of, you know, preparing three or four different mixes and, and, you know, being prepared to sort of switch on the fly. But apparently, you know, the, in the end, the collaboration didn't work. And so they wound up with, you know, several pieces of music that they they sort of wanted to, to hold on to. And I think that is what gave rise to some of what we hear here. Now, the other thing that, that's interesting that comes out of that is I'm pretty sure this is another example where a, a song was sort of created and crafted and the band then proceeded to continue to develop it by playing it live until it sort of gelled into, into what it ulti ultimately became. So that's, uh, that's interesting. Uh, in the original or the, 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 the primordial state, yeah, but by but by the end of it, with the albums released, didn't they do uh, two or three European performances? They did, which was it, it was the the classic problem of prog rock. Prog rock. We recorded this. Oh shit! Now how do we play it? Right. <laughs> well, and, and and there's there's a lot of that. So the other interesting thing, because it you know the the blurb from from the wikis mentions this was recorded at Abbey Road, and so there was a. Apparently, the EMI who ran Abbey Road were very, very stuffy about Abbey Road. And mm -hmm. there were certain things that you could do and certain things you couldn't do. And they were very particular about whatever equipment they had and everything else. So one of the most fascinating things about this, to me, is the fact that Abbey Road had a new tape machine at that point, And EMI or decreed that physical splicing was not allowed. There was no cutting of tape. Mm. And so, so Waters and Mason had to play the entire 23-plus minute rhythm track in one take. Well, see, uh, in, in the Mark Blake Comfortably Numb book, the way that's presented is... They had to do one take because that was all the tape they were granted. So whereas if you had a budget for more tape, you would do one, two, or three takes. But if their tape budget was just long enough to cover one Adam Hart mother, that, that was my interpretation. Yeah, and, and like I said, that's, that's not how it was presented in Mason's book, but... Who knows oh. at this point? But the, the the fact of the matter is, and it the it it goes on in the story, um, in that however it was, the 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 rhythm track for Adam Hartmother was laid down in a single take, and uh, you know there are tempo issues throughout that. Well, yeah, it but it's it's drums and bass. At least they had that core. Because I don't object to it when I listen to it. I, I I'm not hearing a lot of tempo monsters right. listening to it. But that 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 is the complaint from the 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 orchestrators that had to right. service and, this. Right, and and that that's where I was going. This uh, um, where is his name? Uh, this Ron Geeson guy who had to to orchestrate this, and then the the musicians who had to play that, it, it was difficult for them because it kind of kept going and coming and going and coming. So, you know, it, it. But at the same time, I think it, you know, that sort of stuff. I don't know. It does it does it lend a little bit of of charm to something like this? I, I don't know. I, uh, I, think, I think it supports the psychedelic feel of it. It sounds very spontaneous and it sounds very um, outer worldly because it's not that precise. So I'm sure it was a bitch for the people trying to overdub, <laughs> though. <laughs> I'm just imagining what it sounded like to them. If it was just if it was just Waters on bass and Nick Mason on drums, 
with no chords. It and and a guy who who basically is like, listen, uh, they didn't really give us anything to play, so um, try this. I'll scribble some notes down on a sheet of paper for you. Bingo. Um, yeah. Yep. It's like the, they must have just been like, all right, well, you know, 10 bucks is 10 bucks. We'll do the session, you know. Um, I I searched so hard last night to find – I could have sworn that in the very early stages of preparing for Pink Floyd that I, that I saw an interview where Geeson – actually talked about the fact what we just talked about how they basically said hey we want you to score this and he they basically gave him nothing yeah no no no, no i mean he just basically had to figure out it all and, and, and try to come up with something and i could have sworn that he mentioned something in this interview that basically the band lost interest and he was left with all of this music that really didn't make any sense and i swear that he said that he pulled an Eddie Offord and just started splicing pieces together here and there that fit together one piece after the other. And, um, and I searched so hard last night to find that and I, and I couldn't find it at all. Um, so I don't know if maybe I just dreamt that one night when I was watching YouTube's too late and fell asleep. Um, but what I did here in one of the interviews or one of the documentaries that I saw that this album actually went to number one. Yeah. It went to number one. <laughs> and, and normally when you see that, right, a lot of times you'll have an album go to number one. It, it's sort of like the all-star vote for what you did the last year. Right. Yeah. You, you see like that there'll be some massive breakout album and then the next album will go to number one, even though it may not be quite as good. But this is coming off the heels of Omagoma. I, I don't right. know what what drives it. Now that brings up another interesting point that I was not aware with this album that this also follows the the Omagoma. Oh, Omagoma was financially viable though. Well, but Omagoma was weird, and this follows the let's do you know a, a band track, and then everyone else can screw around for ten minutes mm. formula, which you know mm. uh, whatever doesn't really. It's not my favorite. One of the things that, uh, again, I it's find... It's pretty fucking cool, though. Yeah, I mean, come on. It may not be your favorite. It, it, it is not. No. It, no. Come on, dude. The choir? Oh, Have I, you ever I'm, not, listened? I'm not talking about Adam Hart Mother. I'm talking oh. about this giving everyone their, their own 10-minute oh, 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 stretch oh, 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 to, to wank sorry. off. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, I, um, I, I think... Our colleague Tom Corcoran has Stockholm syndrome, being in the uh, scoring <laughs> business. So he writes to us: the song "Adam Hart Mother" is a beautiful, innovative piece of music held together by a strong horn theme throughout. Don't be scared of dissonance, gentlemen. Notes can blend. Nobody is getting hurt. Your college arranging teachers may not like this, but this mm. is viable, beautiful music. Correct me if I'm wrong, but nobody did anything like this in 1970. Well, that's for darn tootin' sure. <laughs> I mean, perhaps the Moody Blues or whatnot, but... but uh, uh, Well, maybe. I, my but, knowledge does not run deep in the Moody Blues. Um, well, they weren't doing long epics like this. They were just yeah. doing illustrated pieces. So I so. think, yeah, I think we should each record a solo uh, piece... And put it on an EP and and dedicate it to Joe and call it the claps. <laughs> I I don't think I don't think we need to correct Tom. I think he, he's he's right on the money from 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 my money. And and I think I mentioned it in the group chat. I, I it's almost surprising. Listen, I'm not like I am not following along with every moment and every beat and every section of Adam Hart Mother. For sure, it I put it's great music. I think I texted to you guys. It's it's phenomenal music to put on on a Sunday when I'm trying to get stuff done because it it stops me from obsessively ruminating about the house on things, and I can stay focused and do things. It's wonderful, but the parts, some of the orchestral parts, and definitely the choir. Like I, I'm, you know. Ken, the choir stuff takes me right back to sophomore year in high school listening to Daniel Pinkham's Christmas Cantata and 
mm-hmm. and that er, that early 20th century sort of feel mm-hmm. of, of voices and harmony. I think it's terrific. And the atmosphere it creates is just stellar. I mean, and, and if you would ask, if you would tell me to where I would have to put that, I don't know, in a, in, a, in a year, I don't know that I would say it's it's 1970. I don't know I would. I'd, I yeah. think I would say it's younger than that. There is a very powerful, haunting feel that comes from this era that we heard most frequently just in the Star Trek theme. There's just mm. something majestic about the, uh, you know, yeah, yeah, that, that, that mid-20th century scoring combined with horns and whatnot. Uh, oh, but whatever, I'm fucking it up. But um, yeah, it, they, they have these very m- majestic chords that break from the diatonic uh, vein that they were criticized for using. Mm. And they, they, they somehow combine a little bit of spaghetti western with space music i'm not sure how they yeah. did it but but they pulled it off man it's beautiful yeah and then they go right into like a a classic blues progression and david gilmore just kind of wanks around for a few minutes and then they go back to the spaghetti western uh space music <laughs> so when when we talk about spaghetti western right you know here again one of the one of the sections in Adam Hart's mother, as they were putting it together, was referred to as theme from an imaginary western. So here again, we have proof of Bill Bruford's, you know, adage that you know everyone was cowboy crazy. That's right at at this time. So we've seen it now, obviously in Yes and Genesis, and now we have it in Pink Floyd as well. So it's the nineteen seventies. Let me just give you two chords. I just really dig that, and I want to say what it is. It's just um, throwing in. It, it's an E minor basic piece, but it's interesting how it, it, it throws in the, uh, making it modal by throwing in an F chord. But by that point, you're throwing in an A major and a B major, so you're, you're pulling in the, uh, the major mode, really. It, it, it's cool the way that they flip that stuff around. And, and and everyone was doing it in the 60s. It's just remarkable to us because we grew up in the 80s where things stuck to keys for the most part. I like that. So, Ken, that would be a good that would be a good YouTube segment. YouTube oh, segment. Yeah. Ken Gregory music. dissecting the music of Pink Floyd in 1970. You, Do music, it. Music theory with Ken Gregory. I like oh, it. That would be cool. That would that would get us a following. That would be badass. Oh boy. let's do that. Let's Can I use the word? Can I use the word Phrygian? <laughs> Can use any word you want. <laughs> okay. So, so I just did a search of the, a list of Western films in the 1970s. And I have to tell you, it, in 1970, the list of Westerns is almost as long as the list of progressive rock albums. Really? I mean, it, it was a... I mean, it's a ridiculous amount of Western movies. How many movies could they make in one year in the Western genre? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I so, don't know. I don't know if our friends in Europe or our younger friends will comprehend. But when we grew up, there were just Western things on weekends and night. Westerns were all over that. And well, it wasn't just America that was cranking them out. West Germany, Finland, United Kingdom, Spain, Italy. I mean, the entire world was cowboy crazy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Jesus. Mm-hmm. Turkey. <laughs> wow. I mean, well, yeah, and, and clothes borne that out because you had fringes on jeans and whatnot. Yeah, yeah, it's it's true. Yeah, everyone wanted to be a cowboy for crying out loud. They did. It's amazing. So there's something about, you know, the, the, if, if the basis of this came from unused movie music, right, and based on what we know from more and what we're going to see from Obscured by Clouds, there's something sort of unifying about Pink Floyd movie music that's a little different from what they quote-unquote normally do. Um, I can't quite put my finger on it, but it you know you can when you when you're told something is is pink floyd movie music it's like oh yeah i see that now 
And, and here, yeah. here it's a little harder maybe to pick out because of all the extra stuff loaded on top of it, but it's still fundamentally there, I think. I, it's, I totally agree with you. I think it, it, it peaks its way in the, in the title track, and all of the songs after it are, you know, are they're basically uh, exit ramps to the future uh, of, of what they're going to create. I think Tom mentioned something about that. To me, the more I listen to these records, the more they they really are like the, the practice for the masterpieces, you know? And yeah, I, you know, it's like, uh, I don't know how it's going to happen because I still think whenever we get to dark side of the moon, it's going to be like, how the hell did they make that leap? But, um, well, have you but listened? Still, you you can kind of hear it now. Yeah. The sound is definitely better. I think in metal, it sounds like they actually said, Hey, maybe we should try to make this sound cool. I'm, um, I'm, rather than just plugging in and playing. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up because that's one of the things that sort of I find off-putting about this record. Um, you know, it doesn't sound particularly great. When we talk about the, the mainline sequence of Pink Floyd, and we've already talked about it in other episodes for even other bands, from a production standpoint, you know, Dark Side through, you know, uh, certainly The Wall, maybe The Final Cut, you know, just exemplary production. Maybe the final cut. Blasphemous words. Well, I, you know, like I don't want to create too much controversy. I mean, the the final cut is produced beautifully. Okay, let's let's be clear on that. And and I love the final cut, but you know, it's it's not wish you were here. Okay, I, I will back you up, my friend. Adam Hart Mother has a musty dirty dusty feel despite the orchestra despite it everything does. going on yeah it cannot escape this little cloud over it there's something not you know the technology was not ready for floyd and if you wanted to sound good with that technology you needed to keep it kind of small and controlled the beatles were you know under george martin tutelage and yeah Ken Scott and all those Abbey Road guys, they, they, they kind of mastered the idea of, of, of making beautiful noises within the confines of that wonky technology. But yeah. when you go too big, you just lose your shit and it sounds kind of murky. And Musty, yeah, I think, and, is perfect. Yeah, it is. And, and there's a lot of that still um, mono recording stuff, right? Where like the drums, you know, for certain sections are all on the left ear, while the guitar is in the in the right ear, and then they change it back and forth. Um, it's almost like there are some portions that are recorded, like in that vein, while you know the larger sections are recorded more in in uh, the stereophonic sense. Um, I don't know. Mm -hmm. Maybe they weren't able. Maybe not only were they not allowed to splice tape but maybe they were only allowed to use a certain number of gadgets in Abbey Road. Um, oh, um, yeah. Actually, they Abbey Road was still a track, right? But, yes. but somewhere in this period, they deliberately bailed on Abbey Road and went to a 16-track studio. I think Did you're I? right, yeah. And I yeah. want to say they went to Air Studios, which was created by George Martin, who didn't want to be mm -hmm. held down by Abbey Road. I think you're right. Yeah. Pretty funny. Damn those conformists. Yeah. One thing that struck me as I was listening to the title track, in the area of around three and a half minutes to maybe four minutes, something like that, there's a there's a section where there's a lot of Richard Wright going on. And for ah. me, this is the most like Genesis that Pink Floyd ever gets to. Like, it's as close as they're musical realms ever get to each other and it's mm. it's kind of it i was just like wow that's kind of cool um and it doesn't last very long and it kind of goes away and you're like okay i'm back in in whatever land but it, there there was there's something about that that little section that feels tony banksish <laughs> to me what are you that's laughing cool. at ken if if keyboard players were glue Genesis ladders it on. <laughs> <laughs> and Richard Wright is like, no, it stays up just as well, perhaps even longer, if you just use a dab of glue. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> Richard Wright is the super glue of keyboard. Wow. Oh, 
that's awesome. I love that. That is great. Now that you know, you can't get that level of insight just anywhere. I just want to that's point true. that out. It's is true. PBS. Are we are we fundraising? <laughs> <laughs> it's um, it's just a twelve string and Peter Gabriel dancing a thousand words away from um, from Genesis. <laughs> That's all for me. Adam Hart Mother is you know I'm with you guys. You know I I find it enjoyable. I don't know that I'm incredibly invested in it, but it you know it's like okay I I I get it. There are the first time I listened to it, I thought maybe some of the orchestration was a little jarring. It's 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 almost like you can tell that there was one thing and something else was dropped on top of it. But after the previous album, I found it to be very easy to engage with, and you know, mm. I'm I'm good. I didn't think we had that much material for Adam Hart Mother, the the title track, but clearly we did. Clearly we did. Which uh, takes us on to the second song, if. So this is uh, Roger Waters' track on this album. And this song reminds me of something. Ken, when we were driving up to New York uh, to see Total Mass Retain, I had mentioned this to you, and I still can't figure out what song this reminds me of. And it's been pretty much driving me crazy until, oh. until I stopped listening to this album because I've moved on to, to metal at this point. Uh, but th there's just... There's something about the vocal line or the lyrics or something about this that reminds me of something else, and I I don't I don't know what it is, and it's uh, driving I, me nuts. I'll take a stab. Please do. Uh, the vocal line at the beginning of the song is a dead ringer for a "Goodbye Crew World" yes! at the end of side one of Pink Floyd's "The Wall," and yeah. that was one of my options. So thank you, Paul. I appreciate. There you go. I every time that. I hear every time I hear one of these songs, it's like. It's like Roger Water is like in the early seventies trying to either write Pigs on a Wing or <laughs> or another song from the wall. Uh, you know, this one or and you know, and then and then one day he just was like, Oh, you know what? I I I've been trying to write mother all along. That's all I was really trying to do. Um, <laughs> until I, the I final cut and then some I, of those drippy songs come out yet again. <laughs> I love I just love how it I love how there's all these seeds in there and um, you know, and, and again, like we've talked about before, like I, I can't escape it. Every time I hear the stuff, I go back to the big four and I think about, you know, what part of the big four this, this leads to. But, you know, to me, that was, it was kind of uh, when I was listening to this at work one day, I was just like, Oh, this sounds just like uh, goodbye crew world. And I love it. It's great. I love the guitar, the chord arrangement. And um, and I love the line. And if I were a good man, I'd talk with you more often than I do. Yeah, I, psh, love right? it. it. That that's spectacular. And that's one of the lines that always tickles my brain. Mm. Um, and and I think that particular line, and, and I haven't gone back to look at it because you know we kind of move in a linear fashion. But I, for some reason, that line I think reminds me of Cymbeline. I, I don't know. Ah, maybe I'm. Maybe I'm totally wrong about that, um, but it, it just there's something about that 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 tickles me. Nice. Oh, so um, communication becomes a theme, uh, as pointed out to me in the Blake Comfortably Numb book, and this is one of the early renditions of the communication theme. Huh. Uh, uh, Peaking perhaps in a I don't know. Wish you were here and uh, Dark Side. But but uh, yeah, he's you know if I were a better man, no doubt this is where where he's first trying to reach out. Apparently, That's this nice. this song was was actually played by Rogers on the Radio Chaos tour, which would have been what late eighties, I guess. Yeah. So mm. that's kind of interesting that he would dust that off. Mm, he likes it. I mean, it's very Roger. Yeah, it is. It, it yeah. is. You know, and again, this next song, Summer 68, is just yet another example or another shining reminder of why I secretly love Richard Wright and never even knew it. Mm. Um, I, I just, I find this song to be just really enjoyable. I like almost everything about it. Yes. Yes. Yeah. 
I had to look up when <laughs> uh, California Dreamin' was released, 1965, and this is five years later. But there's definitely an American feel to this. Would you agree that Wright is picking up on the American style of composition? Oh, totally. Absolutely. Especially when like the harmony vocals come in, the way the just the way it rolls. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. you do. You feel like you I feel like you're driving across <laughs> the, the flatlands of America in the middle of summer. Yeah. You can almost see like the dusty convertible, like long ass convertible car with all mm-hmm. the dust flying around you. Yeah. With with tribute to the Beach Boys. Uh, yeah it, yeah it, it's pretty well and just modally i mean it's mostly a lot of d major with with g it's a very happy song the way he does it and i love how he finally gets really dark and dirty after the chorus yes so 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 it's hard to say if it's parody of the american style of writing or if it's just a cynical view but but he starts out, and not purely American. There's a little bit maybe kinks in here, a little bit just a little bit jangly stuff. But then you know uh, they're talking about you know a one night stand or a six hour stand. And would you like to say something before you leave? Perhaps you'd care to say exactly how you feel. We say goodbye before we said hello. I hardly even like you. I shouldn't care at all. We met just six hours ago. The music was too loud. From your bed, I came today and lost a bloody year. And then he says, I would like to know. And then he gets all dark and dirty, and he goes from the D major to the B minor. How do you feel? And that B minor hits me so deep, so deep and so hard. And then instead of like just staying kind of straight minor, he, oh my God, he turns the screw. Do you hear how that F major chord? off of the b minor is just nice very dissident and that's another how do you feel and then they kind of you know okay okay that's a little crazy rich what are you going to do here and then he he resolves to the same major to get you back into the verse and it's really beautiful Mm. that's that's not the only compositional technique in the song so they go through another verse and and they keep it all happy and then they get back into another you know chorus uh, and they, they, again, they exit the chorus just as creepily. How do you feel with it with a B minor, and then to the F? But then, as they're jamming along, it becomes a little more prog, a little more epic. And instead of simply uh, staying in that kind of D minor, B minor vibe, they actually go into the. So it becomes like a D minor thing. Yeah. And that is what kind of takes it proggy and dark finally. Like, you're like, okay. Right? Like, I was going to say it was a pop song in the beginning. But then right. once you, you went there, buddy, you did it. So <laughs> <laughs> I guess you're prog now. <laughs> it's, it's a pretty cool analysis. It's a pretty cool... I, I, this was the the highlight for me because I can only listen to Adam Hart Mother so many times. With this, yeah, I yeah, yeah. I, I, I'm with yeah. you. I I absolutely adore this song. Yeah, and 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 like I said, when I got when we got into this, I I, I had no appreciation for how much I loved Richard Wright. I had no clue how much he did, or the fact that I loved everything that he did do. And so as you kind of get into this, and and. You know, part of me is is really looking forward to getting into the main sequence and seeing, you know, how much of these magical moments are, you know, driven by by Richard. Mm. I'm interested in that, too, because as I've been going through this, you know, listening to all these and, and, and you know, it's probably clear to everyone that I, I wasn't very familiar with these albums prior to this exercise, these early ones. But as I, you know, listen through and then I like pop in the in the wall while I'm driving around, um, I, you know, you notice a, a very stark difference in all of the albums compared to something like The Wall. And I'm sure we'll talk about it when we get there. And, you know, he is, I think, quite famously known to have not contributed very much to The Wall creatively. And I think it. I always thought that it was that Roger Waters took over, but I think it it was 
equal equally that Richard White Wright stopped contributing. That and, the sound changed so much. And and actually, come to think of it, isn't Richard Wright missing from the final cut? For I, sure, I believe he is. All of it, yeah. So that he was kicked out by then. Yeah. So that may be, you know, some of what uh, what separates out. You know, my the magic mm. sauce is gone. The magic sauce. It's still they're still good ribs, but. <sighs> and there it is. We just compared Pink Floyd records <laughs> to ribs <laughs> on Super Tuesday. On Super Tuesday. Well, now we just dated ourselves. People are going to know that well, we, we actually recorded this three months before they actually hear it. But there that's you go. Okay. I'm sure. I'm, I'm pretty sure they know that all the time. Yeah, I'm pretty sure they do. So summer '68, <laughs> big, big, big thumbs up from the palaver. Big time. I think that was why, you know, when I first started listening to this, and, I, and I'm sure we were probably banned. I think I, you may have said something like, you know, how am I ever going to get through Adam Hart Mother? And I said, just skip this first track. You know, that's the best place to start on this record. Just skip the first track altogether because there's magic here in these, uh, in these later tracks. <laughs> so David Gilmore's contribution is fat old son you know what a what a weird title for a song i think <laughs> you know i th i think wh who was it was telling the story that that david had nothing and they like locked him in the studio and said figure something out and he came up with this did one of you guys say that i don't think i said that no i don't don't remember that. And no, we we just talked about Umagumma and oh, Waters wouldn't write lyrics for Gilmore. He left him out to dry, which was charming at the time, but a little scary in hindsight. Yeah, I wonder how charming it really was at the time. Um, but anyway, you know, it just I, I and I, I bring that up because I think at this point I, I have this impression, you know, that David Gilmore is not who he will become. <laughs> He may be, you know, a, a an, an accomplished guitarist at this point, but you know, clearly, some sort of coherent songwriter. Maybe that's not quite where he's at at this point. Well, even in in the uh, recent podcasts, you know, he talked about how lyri as a lyricist, he was never really too good. Yeah, and and I think that. You know, this is some evidence of that. Yeah. And, um, and, you know, Roger Waters ended up becoming the lyricist of the band pretty much, you know, as, as they progressed forward. So, so, um, yeah, it's, it's kind of like when, uh, you know, when Neil and, and I'm sorry, when Alex and Getty decided to pen the lyrics to chemistry and then they were like, okay, let's never do that yeah, again. Let's, let's not do that. <laughs> well, when when Dave Gilmore says uh, distant bells, new moon grass smells so sweet by the river holding hands, roll me up and lay me down. You, you mean they're, they're, they're not playing that at weddings these days? <laughs> no. <laughs> no, no, I don't think they're playing that at weddings these days. I had to sort of stop myself and and pay attention to figure out what fat old son was it just kind of whoop, washed right over me and i never really paid attention so um it, this this one just didn't land with me yeah likewise yeah yeah i'm with you never it never really even when there's like you know some bit of uh you know guitar playing at the end like you know i don't know i don't want to use the word like I'll just use aggressive tones, um, you know, compared to the rest of the track. It, it, it doesn't really rise to the, it certainly doesn't rise anywhere near to the level of like summer 68. Yeah, no, clearly. Um, and then, and, and not if either. So fat old son is a dud. That's not to say we didn't like his previous efforts, right? I mean, I don't want to leave this section yeah. 
Anthony Gilmore. We're loving his voice quality, right? You miss, you miss. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah. And the and the aggressive guitar tone is pretty sweet too. And and if 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 I'm in this period, like if if I want to hear this style Pink Floyd, at this point I'm going to put on more because more has everything that I need, um, including David Gilmore being general rock god. So you know that. And then if I want, you know, late model rock god David Gilmore, I mean, he gives me so much more to listen to after this. All right. I, I would say on Umaguma the narrow way. I would not. Uh, I will never listen to Umaguma again, but that's okay. Okay. Wow. All right. Wow. Okay. All right. All right. That's just me. That's just me. I understand that Tom loves it, and wow. I, I appreciate that. And that gets us into Nick's contribution, Alan's psychedelic breakfast. You know, mm-hmm. that seems very fitting. Although it looks like they're crediting everyone on this. They, they are. Um, I believe that a lot of the sonic noodling uh, sound effects and whatnot are credited with with Nick as as that. Even though the the band as a whole obviously um, yeah. made made the music here. So you know, if if you if you map this out in broad strokes of of the four members each getting their thing this is this is where nick's main contribution was um, yeah in in sound noodling and i don't know like like i'm not this song doesn't really do that much for me i'm just gonna you know say that going in um but i don't think you can underestimate the impact of what nick mason is doing in, in this aspect of the band, noodling with sound effects and doing all this stuff, because when we get, when we progress further, that becomes quintessential Pink Floyd, right? Mm-hmm. Like the, the, you know, when we think about Operation Mind Crime and all the voices and things like that and, and, and some of that stuff and like, for heaven's sakes, even the beginning, <laughs> forgive me for saying this and using this as an example, even the beginning of shout at the devil where uh you know they have the little the little speech like even then when i barely knew pink floyd i was thinking oh this is so cool it's like pink floyd right because you just <laughs> you just knew pink floyd was about voices and and sound effects and wacky shit and um and maybe there are times in 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 this one it's you know where it just goes over over the top or it's just kind of wanking but I don't think you can discount the contribution that what he's doing now does later on when, when they really become refi- more refined songwriters and more refined um, producers as they move ahead. It's, it's, uh, it's, 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 it's pretty epic. And, and that's totally in keeping with the point that you had made, Paul, that in, in this album and even in Omagoma, there are a lot of, of, signposts pointing to where they're going to go they're they're given the freedom to essentially play around in the studio and figure out what they like and what they want to do and you know this is this is them trying to figure that out and the things that work for them they're going to continue to refine and end up utilizing you know to their to their benefit and in ways that other people didn't so Mm. I, i totally get what you're saying here it's just, you know, I, I'm not, <laughs> I'm not interested in, in necessarily, you know, buying Van Gogh's sketchbook from, you know, well, when he was 15. I'd rather buy. That's fair. But a lot of people, apparently, in 1970, were all in. Well, and and they, they made it number one. Yeah, and, and did Tommy did Tommy go to number one in 1969? I mean, Tommy <laughs> came out before this. That blows my uh, mind. I'm sure Tommy sold more than this <sighs> through the ages, but in uh, the long run, yes, yeah. yeah, yeah, yes. yeah. And, <sighs> and, and isn't there isn't there some aspect of this where they actually started to, you know, cook stuff on stage while they were performing this? <laughs> 
I don't know. <laughs> I, I I don't. I didn't hear anything about and the the book I'm into is really verbose, and they did not talk about any of this on stage. God, I hope not. I um, want to or, say, and and I've you know I I there's too much going on at work, and I can't keep track of all the stuff rattling around in my head. But I want to say that I have read or heard, probably in Mason's book, that during this period when they would perform Alan's psychedelic breakfast, they would either set up a, a kettle of water boiling and or cook bacon on the stage while they were playing this. And Rick Wakeman can't have a curry. I'm offended. <laughs> I'm really offended. <laughs> oh, my God. Well, I, 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 I believe go you. Go ahead, Ken. <laughs> just, 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 I mean, I, I'm not making, I'm, I'm not falling for the argument that it was uh the trend to make this kind of art music um maybe similar but 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 nothing on this level because following this release we had uh just 13 days later trespass by genesis uh frank zappa curved air the sid barrett album came out um emerson lake and palmer with her self-titled album with lucky man lucky man oh. like like compare compare the production value of lucky man to yeah. this and, and and the songwriting quality of lucky man to this and and, and so, so you saying that ken i just total non sequitur it just brought to mind asia doing that with bumblefoot oh my god wow yeah they did a great job you know you can you can make the argument that uh, people ate it up and it sold really well and it was cool for the time, but it's not really exactly what all the prog people were doing. It was pretty unique to them. Yeah, yeah, you're right. I think that maybe the cooking story, the story about them cooking on stage may have just grown over time. I think, uh, I think just what happened is during the song, you know, David looked back at Richard and he said, hey, man, you're really cooking over there on those keys. <laughs> and it just got blown out of proportion. I don't, years I later. don't think that's the way it is. I will find chapter and verse uh, if it's in Mason's book. And and we will clarify this in our next episode. Listen, it, it, there's nothing wrong with cooking bacon on stage at any time for any way, shape or form. <laughs> nothing wrong with that at all. Oh, Lord, you're playing too many rib houses. <laughs> I've had the ribs. I can, I can say that. <laughs> I'm more a vegetarian these days, but I can't resist a few ribs. I'll tell you what, uh, I had a delicious sprouts at the uh, barbecue joint Saturday um, before the gig. Now we're talking. Yeah. Oh, so right good. <laughs> Joe, what are you eating these days? So, Adam Hartnell, I think that's, I mean, we've reached the end of the album. I'm, I'm very happy, you know, like I said, it, I, I, I harbor no ill will during, for this record. I don't know that, you know, it's, I, I don't know. It, it is well, what it is and it, it has some charm to it. And the middle <laughs> section I think is really good. Well, um, in this period, while we're trying to figure out which baby boomer is going to lead our country next, um, you know, we're, we're, we're realizing that the baby boomers seem to have a lot of slack, at least the Floyd did. And they did a lot of weird ass shit before they had to have any kind of discipline. And they got lucky along the way. And some of it is really enjoyable. Yeah, I, I, that's very well said. Yeah. Did um, Ken? Did you read Tom's entire spiel? Have we covered all the thoughts from Tom on this? Oh, I, I shall present to you the last bit of his screed. Um, as far as the rest of the album, I stand by my comment that I think this is the beginning to the Pink Floyd sound. If Summer '68 and Fat Old Son are strong templates of what is soon to become. The horns in Summer 68 are magnificent. Their use of theme here is, again, stunning. He says, I have to make dinner. Kids and wife are freaking out. Have fun tonight. <laughs> he wants us to have fun. <laughs> Floyd is all about the fun. I, 
you know, and, and, and I, I do have fun. I very much enjoy, you know, talking about these records and, you know, again, it's, it's fun to go in here and discover gems like if in summer 68, that maybe I would not have thought of before. And it's fun to see, you know, the ways that, you know, watching, watching this band, develop and develop their sound and develop their skills it, it's it's really it really is very enjoyable to be able to do this so yeah I, it's a fun this has been a fun run of records and i never expected it to be this much fun piper saucer full of secrets more what a surprise more was mm-hmm. i'm a gumma it's kind of a mixed bag, but it's been fun. And then this just this 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 album, uh, this might well, I shouldn't say that, but this has been a lot of fun. This has been a lot of fun. I'm really excited about what's next. Uh, yeah, it, it's been a very good ride with uh, this album. Um, the, I'll let the chords speak for themselves, kids. If if, if the press ever accuses you of being diatonic, your recourses are uh, are, are many. They've fully taken their revenge with their uh, with their with their songwriting here. Ken, I'm not kidding. I want to see some videos of you uh dissecting uh these songs with your new Yamaha with your <laughs> elixir your elixir label still hanging from the headstock. Seriously, so we can put it up on the channel and so that I can learn all of the wisdom that you're conveying here and uh and, and enjoy it. Well gentlemen, thank you for coming along on this ride. This has been uh this has been good fun. And you know, again, I, I I do think yeah, there's there's a lot there's a lot here, and I think it's very enriching uh, what we're doing, which is you know why we do the palaver. So, and next we, time we could have had this, Joe. We could have had this back when we did yes, if we would have started with the original, the first album. Well, and, and yes, and, and and not had to go back. And, and and I I bear I bear that guilt to this day, Paul. Which is why, if you guys recall, there was some some whining about starting at Piper at the Gates of Dawn. I don't want to talk about that. I don't want to go. Can we just start at the Dark Side? No, no, we can't. So I don't remember that. Who's did I say that? You, I didn't say you that. Did, did a I? little whining, yes. No. Yes. Oh yes. no. Oh my gosh. I do I I did it guilt free because I feel no guilt and I'm so happy that we did it. So thank you. Okay. Well I, I'm I'm happy too. And like I said, you know, the 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 yes mistake was totally on me, and so that's why I'm, you know, a little bit O C D now at this point. And uh if we're gonna do a band, we probably need to start at the beginning. And I, I think there's some benefit there. So, as we mentioned before, next episode we get into metal, which is is one of my favorites. I think metal is really, really enjoyable. So I'm very much looking forward to talking about that one. Dude, you know what comes out before that? The Yes album and Aqualung. <laughs> mm. <laughs> wow. There, there you go, a teaser for the timeline of progressive rock for next episode. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. The Yes album and Aqualung. That is badass right there. So we have that to look forward to. And so um, I will catch you gentlemen next episode when we dive into all that goodness. Love it. Thanks. Rock and roll. Cheers. you've enjoyed this episode of progressive palaver as always we've enjoyed sharing the conversation with you and we look forward to your thoughts comments feedback questions and concerns you can reach out to us on twitter instagram and facebook we are at prog Pala on all of those or search for progressive palaver you're welcome to email us our email address is progpala at gmail.com Progressive Palaver is available for subscription and download on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or presumably wherever you do find your podcasts. And we are, as always, hosted on SoundCloud. So until next time, thanks for listening.